Good morning. My name is Alan. Uh, so glad that you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are starting a series entitled The Unwritten. So welcome to uh, this part of our journey. And if you are new with us, this is part of a grand journey that we've been looking at this entire year called The Whole Shebang. And what we're looking at is the overall grand epic story of God. And where we started off in is, is creation. How did this whole thing get started? And then we moved into the Exodus story, which is the development of a nation, the nation of Israel, God's people. And then we looked at the exile story, which is where God's people were disobedient to God and they were wiped out, exiled from their own city, from Jerusalem, the mighty city of Jerusalem. And then we moved into the New Testament and the, the, the Messiah, the story of the one that the Old Testament had been talking about, the, the very one Jesus Christ who had come. Then we looked at the revolution, which is the story we find in the rest of the New Testament where his 12 disciples and other followers, they followed up on this love revolution that Jesus launched. And then uh, over the past month, we've been looking at the church, the last 2,000 years, the story of, of the development of the church, how it brought to where we are today. And so this whole shebang journey has brought us to this moment here, September 19, 2010. The whole shebang is not a study of history. It's not a study of what happened, what happened, what happened, what happened. It's all done. It's all done. It is an exploration of what is happening, of what is going on. We're going to start off the unwritten part of this story by asking the question, are you who you want to be? We're going to do this a little bit different with the unwritten part of the series, you may have noticed it if you've been here before, that we didn't give you a sheet with the regular kind of small group questions and ways to talk about it over lunch, etc. We're doing this a little bit different because in this series, we're not just giving you a sheet, we're give, we've given you a whole booklet for the uh, small groups. We're going to do what we call D groups, doing life together. And uh, those booklets are available for you to explore the unwritten journey, your part in the story as the weeks go on. We can talk about it on Sunday, but then you can go to a much deeper place with a group of people that you're caring about and doing life together with. That's the whole plan. So again, we're starting this off by asking the question that comes from that song that the band just did. I love that question. This is your life. Are you who you want to be? I remember singing that song to my kids when they were little. It was one of the songs I would sing, uh, Jesus Loves uh, uh, Jesus Loves Me, and I would sing, This Is Your Life. D uh, I would sing this song here by Switchfoot, and, I would, and all they knew was the word eyes. So I would say, don't close your, and they would always jump in on the word eyes. Don't close your eyes, don't close your eyes, and you could, they were just kind of simmering down. This is your life. You get one shot at it. One set of days. Are you who you want to be? That's what we're going to go after here in this unwritten part of the journey. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, once again, I ask for your uh, presence to come and do something way more grand and spectacular than any of us here in this room could do on our own. God, I, I believe that you are real, that you are here, so would you come and make this moment way more than just a gathering? This is an encounter with a living God. Come, in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to 
imagine with me that these lamps up here on the stage, that they are a season of your favorite TV show. I know some of you are, are uh, uh, so wonderful you don't watch any TV, but for those of us uh, like myself, watch a little bit of TV. Imagine this is a season, one year, one season of your favorite TV show, and a typical TV series season is going to be about 24 episodes. And so um, uh, imagine that this here, uh, now there's only 12 of these lamps, we can only afford so many, and so uh, they each represent two episodes, okay? So this is a season of your favorite TV show, each lamp represents two episodes. So right here, this is between episode six and seven. This is where Jack Bauer uh, breaks protocol and saves the world. And, and, and this is very exciting. And uh, over here, this here is, is between episode 18 and 19. And o over here in episode 18, this is where Jack Bauer breaks off from his buddies and he breaks protocol and he, and he saves the world again it's really awesome and then this here is episode 24 where he threatens a government official and he breaks protocol and saves the world again this is a season of your favorite tv show 24 episodes now i want to stretch you a little bit more and imagine that this represents your life this represents the episodes of your life from beginning to end. Now some of you are in between episodes uh, six and seven perhaps and so there have been certain episodes, certain things that have brought you to this place but you have a whole lot of the story yet to be told. A whole lot of episodes laying before you. Some of us here in this room are in between episodes 18 and 19 and so there have been a lot of things that have brought you to this place. Some very painful some wonderful memories and celebrations that have brought you to this place. But there are still episodes that remain as a part of your story. This is your life. This is your life. You have way more than 24 episodes. This is your life. And the point of this morning is to make the observation that typically the episodes of life roll into one another so fast, they just roll in, boom, 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 and all of a sudden, boom, we wake up and we're all the way over here. And we don't take a moment in this journey to stop and think about the trajectory of our life. We would just stop and think to say, is this the story that I want my life to tell? I love the opening verse, scripture verse, in the unwritten small group booklet that uh, we've provided for you and your groups. It's uh, the message version of Galatians chapter 6, and this is what it reads, uh, verses 4 and 5. Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work you've been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. This is kind of a theme for this series here. Let us together take careful exploration of where we are in our life, in our journey. Where, where, which episode we're on, where we are. Let's take careful exploration. Think about how we've gotten to this po point and what place God is taking us to. The point of this series is not for me to say for seven weeks, look at your life. It's terrible. 
You need to fix it. That is not the point of this series. The point of this series is to invite God, the author of the whole shebang, to come and invite you into a powerfully meaning, meaningful story for the rest of your journey. To invite you into the abundance that God has called for you. The point of this series is to stop in our journeys, in the episodes, to take seven weeks here to just stop and take a break, take inventory, and say, okay, this is my life. Am I who I want to be? Am I heading down the path that God is inviting me into? There are numerous examples in Scripture of people, in the Bible story, of people who have done this, who've taken inventory and said, okay, wait, 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 wait. God, what are you doing here? We have the story in the Old Testament, in the Exodus story of Moses, who spent 40 years as a shepherd in Midian. 40 years kind of reflecting on his experience in Egypt and, uh, and a time where he killed an Egyptian for beating on a Hebrew man. Reflecting on all that and saying, God, what, what role do you want me to have in this? And then he has an encounter with a burning bush. And then he realizes, okay, boom, after taking a long pause, he realized, okay, this is what the, tra- the trajectory that God had for me. Jesus himself in the New Testament, he takes 40 days off. He fasts for 40 days in the desert before he launches into his public ministry to center himself and to say, this is my calling. This is what my Father in heaven has called me to do. He's, he stopped the rat race for a moment and said, this is it. Am I ready for what God is taking me to? I want to look at a story this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 19. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to go to Luke chapter 19. It's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. And this is a story that's probably known to a number of you. It is a story of Zacchaeus, who is referred to in the song as a wee little man. And just so you know, it's kind of a rule of life. No man ever wants to be called a wee little man. That's not a... uh, Okay, so here we go. Luke chapter 19. The story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man. Lights? Okay, can we bump up the house lights a little bit? Thank you. Ask and ye shall receive. (laughs) Thanks for the request. I love that. Just let's not yell too much at me. Okay, so I love it. Okay, chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho. You know what? If we kept the lights down, I could just say whatever I want, it says. And you can't, you can't prove me wrong. But okay, lights up. We're all accountable here. All right. Verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Let me pause there for just a moment and kind of walk out how significant this part of the story is. That he was a tax collector. A wealthy tax collector. Now, this was the scum of the earth. To be a Jewish tax collector was to be the scum of the earth in Jerusalem, in this area, in, uh, in um, Palestine. The reason for that is that he worked for the Roman government. He was a Jew who worked as a, as a Roman government official, taking money, taking taxes from his, his Jewish counterparts from his from his Jewish people he would go in and take taxes and what is clear from uh, our understanding of, of the New Testament way of life is that tax collectors were typically corrupt 
because there wasn't a crisp line in terms of how much money was to be taken from the Jews to give to the Roman government. So they would often take more than what is needed. They would take more, give to Rome what Rome needed, and then have money left over for himself. That's why he was wealthy. And it says he was a chief tax collector. So he probably had tax collectors reporting to him. He was wealthy based on his corrupt treatment of his own people. He was despised by the Jews. He was disrespected by the Romans because here was this scum who was even a, a, a traitor with his own people. He, he truly was living a life as a wee little man. Continuing in verse 3. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. I love the word mutter. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. They say this as if they're not sinners. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now one might ask in reading this, why would he give four times the amount to those that he cheated? Four times. This is actually the law. We'll find in Leviticus chapter 22 that this is what was required of one who has cheated others four times. It also says that Zacchaeus offered half of his wealth to the poor. That was not dictated by the law. That was not laid down anywhere. That was his own offering saying, I don't want to just squeak by on this one. I am so serious about this. I don't want to just squeak by. He's not doing what my kids do most evenings for dinner to say, how much do I have to eat in order to get dessert? He's not doing that squeak by thing. He was saying, I am so serious. I want to show myself and my God that I am very, very serious about this. I don't want to squeak by. I want to go for it. He says in uh, verse 8, halfway through, look, Lord, here and now, here and now, right here, I am stopping in the middle of my rat race between episodes X and Y, and I'm, say, and I'm saying I want to change the trajectory of my life. I want to change the way this path is going. The, word, the name Zacchaeus means the righteous one or the pure one. And Zacchaeus was saying between episodes X and Y, I am not living up to my name. I am not living the life that God has called me to live. And what I'm confident in is that there are Zacks here in this room who are not living up to their name. Not living up to the trajectory, the path, the story that God has for you. And again, I don't mean this in a, in a hand-slapping way, but an invitation to be a part of what God is setting up for you, is inviting you into. 
Last week, I was not here uh, because I was celebrating my 13th anniversary with my wife in Cabo. And for this trip, it was fabulous, by the way, and for this trip, we were gifted with a deep-sea fishing uh, excursion, uh, rental of a boat and the whole kind of thing. We were gifted with this. Now, uh, many of you know I'm, I'm Canadian, I'm from Canada, and most Americans um, assume the following four things of Canadians. They're tall, ruggedly good-looking, uh, love hockey, and fish. Now, I don't fish. Now, I pretty much nailed the first three, but, <laughs> but I, I don't fish. I mean, Canada has more lakes than the rest of the world combined. It's a fact, but I don't fish. I haven't done, I've never done anything like this whatsoever. So we get in the fishing boat, my wife and I, and it's, uh, it's a 30-foot uh, boat, and it's just my, my wife and me and our crew of two. It was Ramon and Luis. And we're out, we're out about two hours into this journey, and uh, Luis has set up the five lures behind the boat, and we're all kind of trolling, and, and again, two hours into it, my wife and I are sitting down enjoying, we're in the shade, but outside, we're reading a book on the back of this boat, and I'm thinking, as a sport, fishing's really pretty manageable. Uh, I'm kind of not, you know, I'm, I'm kind of okay with this. And so it's about two plus hours into the journey when one of our five lures gets a little nibble. And so Luis comes bounding down from the top, and he grabs uh, the pole that gets a nibble, and he instructs me with broken English to reel in the other four poles. And so I'm doing the best I can, and sure, I can do this. And then he invites me to sit in the chair, which is kind of like a dentist chair without the Novocaine. And so... Uh, you sit in this deal and your, and your feet are on this uh, pallet and so he takes out the pole and he, he puts it in a tube that is underneath the chair that's connected as part of the chair that swivels up and down this tube. And so he instructs me that my job is to, is to pull the pole up and then reel on the way down. Pull it up and reel on the way down. And, and so he says, real, 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 as this is happening here. And so he's getting all excited. So I decide to get all excited. And this is kind of fun. We're doing this for a while. After about 20 minutes of this, 20, maybe 30 minutes of this, we see about 50 yards out, this magnificent piece of God's creation pop out of the water and shine and reflect the sun on its silver side. It was amazing. I turned back to my wife and I said, did you see that? It was awesome. I was so excited, ready to go. And uh, so I'm sitting here in, the, in the, the dentist chair for two hours and 45 minutes wrestling with this fish. And this is what I caught. It's, it's... It's a 480-pound blue marlin, 132 inches long, 11 feet. It's longer than what, it's actually curled. It's longer than what it looks there. 11 feet. I've never caught anything in my life. This is the only thing I've ever caught. I think, I think this is one of those quit while you're ahead kind of stories. I have an average of 11 foot per fish that I've ever caught. Now, so we, we bring this thing back into the marina, and this is a catch. People gather around, locals, other people who are on different boats gather around. Whoa! And we're all telling stories. I'm going, yeah, it was about two hours, 45 minutes is quite the struggle. You know, I'm now the expert. And people are gathered around, and, and uh, 
It's rare to catch a blue marlin. That's what this is, is a blue marlin. It's rare to catch one. To catch one that's 480 pounds, this is a prized experience fish. Now, of course, I had to talk about that on, on the following Sunday that I come back to church here. Right. Okay. So now if I was you and, and I was hearing this, this old fish story, one of the questions I would be asking is, two hours, 45 minutes? How could it possibly have taken you, are you that much of a wimp? I mean, just, just pull it in. Just pull it in, right? Well, see, the deal is that the reel is torqued so that it can't just lock up and only spin in one direction. This fish is so powerful, boom, it would just snap the line and take off no problem. The reel has to be torqued so that it can be released so he can pull for a while and you pull for, pull for a while. So for two hours and 45 minutes, I'm reeling in, he's swimming out. And so I pull up and I'll reel in 50 feet and hold on and he'll get a burst of energy and zing out 100 feet. And so, and so we're in water that's about 500 feet deep. He's got plenty of room to cruise around. And so, so the whole time is spent me pulling in, him pulling back out. Me pulling back in, him pulling back out. And the deal is that there's no break. There's no pause. There's no break in this. I got so tired and so it was in the heat of the sun in Mexico. You should be feeling sorry for me a little bit. And at one point, I, I needed a drink of water. And it's pull with your left hand, reel with your right hand. And so what I would do is hold it up, grab the pole with my right hand, and then Luis would hand me a drink of water. My arm is so dying I can't even hold the water I'm shaking can't get it to my mouth <laughs> it's just splashing all over thanks Luis good we're good and then get this thing going good there is no break what I couldn't understand as I'm thinking I had plenty of time to think about this why couldn't I just take the pole put it in the socket on the side of the boat where it was in the first place let it sit there I go get some lunch and take a little bit of a break, let the little happy Mr. Marlin fish around for a while, get tired, I come back, and, and I just reel him back in. Why couldn't I do that? I couldn't take a break. I couldn't take a break to pause and think, do I really even care about this stupid fish anymore after two hours? I couldn't, I couldn't. Now, my wife had the opportunity to think about that. I looked behind me, and for the first hour, she's all excited. She's got the video camera. Go, honey, go, go, go. She's just here for me. She's loving the whole thing. She's cheering. And then after about two hours, she's laying down on the bench, and I could see the look on her face going, I just don't care anymore. If that, if that reel spins out one more time, I'm going to come and cut it myself. I really don't care. Now, now, the point I'm going to try to stretch and make here is that, is that so often the episodes of life, they just sing back to back with no break in between. It just rolls into one another and we spend our time pulling in and then it gets pulled out and we reel in for a while we make some progress we do some pretty good stuff with our kids or our marriage relationship and things are happening and then zing the thing gets pulled out another hundred feet and we go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth when do we just stop and take a break and say stop stop Stop. This is my life. Am I who I want to be? Am I heading in the direction that, that I want to be? Just stop. See, our guy 
Zacchaeus, he did that. I think in this story, he stopped. He was a wealthy, successful man who hated himself. And he stopped and he said, what am I doing here? So what I want to do in the, in the last few moments that r- r- remain with us here this morning is I want to look at two ways that he froze, stopped life and took inventory of, of, his, of his own journey and, and took the opportunity, took advantage of the opportunity as Jesus was walking by, took advantage of the opportunity to reset his life. Two things. One thing that he did was that he was curious. He was curious. Verse 3, he says, it says, he wanted to see who Jesus was. He had heard about Jesus. He had heard stories about Jesus. He had, he had known people who had been deeply impacted by Jesus. Maybe some of the people that he'd collected taxes from, he had heard stories that there was some significant, real change that was happening. And he wondered, could it be that this Jesus is real? Could it be that this really is the story of life? This really is the whole shebang. Could it be that this Jesus wants to invite me to be part of this story? That if, if I change the direction, the trajectory of my life, that could fit into the plan that just this Jesus has for all of humanity. Could it be? He was curious. He was curious enough to think that it was a possibility that that's where his life could go. And so he took the opportunity. There probably was not very many opportunities for Jesus to walk through Jericho. And he took the opportunity in response to his curious to his curiosity that says, could it possibly be? Possibly. E- even if he didn't fully believe or was, wasn't fully convinced that that Jesus could take him to a wonderful place, he was curious enough to say, just maybe. Maybe. He was curious. And then secondly, he swallowed his pride. He swallowed his pride. Look at verse 4. So he ran ahead. Middle Eastern men 2,000 years ago did not run. They wore cloaks that uh, were open uh, in certain areas and if you run it it was not a good deal for a man. That's why it's so astonishing in the story of the prodigal son when the father runs out to the son. This was a, a, a humiliating thing for this father to do. He was so swallowing his pride that he says I will run to go see my son. Middle Eastern men 2,000 years ago did not run, especially wealthy government officials in a public area, a public setting. They would not run. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Jewish men in the first century did not run and they certainly did not climb a tree. He was running, like, he was running and he was climbing a tree. He was acting just like a child, just like a kid. Isn't there a time where Jesus says something about 
acting like a child in the kingdom of God, something about that. He was acting like a child. See, this is, this is what happens so often with what we call a midlife crisis. A midlife crisis is basically someone who's getting old saying, I don't want to be an adult anymore. I want to be a child. And so what sometimes happens, sometimes, is that uh, an adult in midlife crisis will say, I don't want to be an adult. I want to be a child. I don't want to be married to or date someone who's my age. I want to marry someone who's a child. I don't want to drive the car that I drive. I want to drive the car that I wanted to drive when I was 20 because now I can afford it, and then I couldn't. See, I think, I think a midlife crisis is good. That's a stupid thing to say. I think it's good. I think we respond to it poorly. Those examples I just gave, those are, those are poor, terrible, family-destroying decisions. Not necessarily the car. It depends on what kind of car. Sometimes we respond to that poorly, very poorly. But the idea of coming to a point of life and saying, wait, 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 wait. I want to stop. Look at the episodes of my life that have brought me to this place. Consider the episodes that are ahead of me. And I want to th- rethink this thing. And in that moment, I think there's some beauty in living as free as a child. In, ha- in experiencing the liberty of a child who is not so confined by being dignified and proper and mature. So what if your family or friends think that you're a Jesus freak because you're actually excited about your faith? So what? Climb that tree. So what if a possible career change for you means significant drop in dollars and prestige? I mean, people are going to look at you very differently as you go from this field to this field because you feel that there's a tug on your heart to move into something that you believe is a calling from God into purpose. So what? Climb that tree. Climb that tree. So what if it's uncomfortable to say I'm sorry to your spouse about something that perhaps he or she doesn't even know that you're involved with or participating in or maybe something that happened a long time ago and you still haven't dealt with that? So what if it's uncomfortable saying, I was wrong. I I was wrong there. So what if it's uncomfortable saying, you know, I think we need some help. I don't think we can figure this out on our own. I think we're going to need to invite somebody else into it, a trusted other couple or counselor or whatever. So what if that's uncomfortable? Climb that tree. Climb that tree. You know, it's way easier to be the guy standing in the crowd laughing at the idiot who's climbing the tree. But who would you rather be? The guy in the crowd laughing and then turning around and going back to his miserable life? Or the, or the guy who has climbed the tree because he was curious enough and childlike enough to say, I believe that this Jesus has a trajectory for my life that is way better than I could possibly imagine. Who would you rather be? 
This is your life. Who do you want to be? I think there's a reason that Zacchaeus is described in the story as being a small man. I, th- I think that's a significant word, that's a significant part of the story, because I think many of us in our own journeys, we feel pretty small. We feel pretty insignificant at times. And part of what might make us feel insignificant, even in the whole shebang journey, is to think, this whole shebang, that's a big story. That's a big, grand, huge story. So what about little old me? It's a big story. It's over thousands of years involving billions and billions of people. So what about little old me? How could my decisions and my episodes have any effect on this grand whole shebang? But the reality is that there is a part of the whole shebang that needs you. There is a relationship. There is a story. There is a connection. There is a commitment. There is a part of your future that is significant to the whole shebang. Now, what God does when we don't respond to his invitations, I don't know. I don't know how that all works. But I believe there is something that you have been designed to be a part of that will not get done unless you do it. Again, the the point of this series is not to just kind of hoopla, be the best you can be, be the best you can be with the rest of your episodes. This is not a, a high school graduation speech. This is an invitation by the author of the whole shebang to enter into the role that he has designed for you, that he has set up for you. And my hope is that we would be curious enough, even though our intellect holds us back so often, that we'd be curious enough to say, could it be? And that we would be childlike enough and undignified enough to actually, courageously, sometimes dangerously, give it a shot. My hope is for those of you who are in small groups, and I know it's a lot of you who are jumping into your D groups this week, and my hope is that it is an incredibly significant and meaningful experience for you as you connect with others and unearth what's going on, what God is calling you to in your life. It's not too late if you are not in a D group yet and you want to do way more than just a little bit on Sunday morning, but you really want to unpack this whole thing. We have an info booth in the lobby. If you are not in a D group yet, you and your family your, or your uh, spouse or friend want to jump in on that, it's not too late. Go back in there and sign up for one. What, what have you got to lose? Can you be curious enough and, and undignified enough to give it a shot? This is your life. This is it. One life. Are you who you want to be? I'm excited about this series. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I love the image of the church being an army. That yes, we're imperfect and we're unsure and we're doubtful and we're broken. And, and we, need a ho- we need to be a hospital to, to bring healing. And we need to be a school to learn and and grow but God we are also an army and that you have 
have assembled this group as imperfect and broken as we are to launch out and make a difference in this community, in this world. And so, Father, I humbly yet boldly ask you to come and break through all our, our, our maturity so that we can, in a childlike way, say, I want to go for it. I don't want to just coast. I don't want a middle-of-the-road remainder, remainder of, of my episode. I want to experience the fullness of what you have for us. God, would you come and speak to us here in this place and in our D groups? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.